This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. So am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube on a Tuesday morning, Sam. Mm. I'm not in Mobile, Alabama. I am right here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, certainly now. Yeah, uh-huh. that's exactly right. It's just magic. Pre-recording for You're going to have some very fast travel, though, because you will sort shortly be in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, I might be at the weigh-in right now. Who knows? <laughs> I got to get to it. Got to get to the weigh-in. I don't even know how they do the weigh-in anymore. But, um, hey, we got a Tuesday show. Uh, we did our championship review on Sunday night, so mm-hmm. if you haven't seen that already... Go check it out. We had some fun reviewing all of that. We've got the Super Bowl preview coming early next week. We'll preview the 49ers and the Chiefs Super Bowl. Um, but for right now, we're just going to talk some NFL, particularly our friend Zach Robinson getting the offensive coordinator job with the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, we got some news to cover. Um, I think the last time we covered the Atlanta Falcons late last week, Raheem Morris had just been given the job, um, and we spoke to Brad. A lot of people – let's get your let's get your opinion, Steve. Haven't had that. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that hire, Raheem Morris. Yeah, because his his record stinks. His record stinks, and he was uh, the interim coach for the Falcons just a couple of years ago, right? With a stinky record as well. Yeah, during that time. So his coaching record, like <laughs> as a head coach, whether it's full time yeah. and or interim, is bad. Yeah, there were every place that he was that as an interim coach, I don't think that stuff counts. You know me with my interim coach stuff, whether it's good or bad. I don't think you hold that for or against somebody. Okay. So you kind of you throw that out. It's like a rain game for you. Um, but more like he hasn't had the best rosters either, and so I think in a, in there's something to the second chance head coach, where I don't think you have you just look at the first opportunity and just look at the record and say, well, you should never get a chance again. You see uh, Jalen Ramsey retweeting like this man is the best coach in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey is giving him his endorsement. Morris has been on both sides of the ball. He's coached on both sides of the ball, like mm-hmm. our friend Bobby, yep. who has had experience on defense, experience on offense. I think that is crucial. Comes from that Shanahan tree. Yeah. And, again, like the, that tree, almost all of them are cross-trained. You know, offense, defense, have spent time on both sides of the ball, tried to, you know, get all aspects of the game, not just stick in your silo and don't, you know, don't stick your head above the parapet. The, the other thing that was impressive, so he took over Morris in 2021 
for the Rams defense. And again, it's it's interesting how we do this in football um, because Raheem Morris was a Bucks coach, and also he worked with um, he worked with all the cover two coaches, right? For a while, didn't he go through all of um, yeah that? When he was back, he was with the Bucks when they were, you know, mid two thousand. The cover like it, the it, Tony so, Dungy Bucks. So we we tend to like only think about well, this is who he worked for, therefore he must call cover two all the time or whatever it might right. be, right? So he gets pigeonholed as like a cover two coach, and and that's like I mean just there's far oversimplifying that, but he goes to the Rams. When Brandon Staley had that defense cooking, I mean, there's a reason why Brandon Staley got a head coaching job with the Chargers. That mm-hmm. defense was looking great in 2020. And Raheem Morris came in, and despite being considered you know, the Tampa 2 guy, he ran Brandon Staley's defense, basically, and put his own twist on it and adjusted to the Rams in his own way. And, and had them, you know, obviously they won the Super Bowl in 2021, um, but he had them cooking for, uh, for a couple of years. So I think... I think all of that stuff adds up, right? Uh, the fact that Raheem Morris is so well-respected, experienced on both sides of the ball, love what he did with the Rams, basically coming in and in being able to adjust to his situation, to his personnel. And I think that's the biggest thing. We'll talk about that later with Ben Johnson and the commanders. I think just doing what your personnel does well and playing to their strengths is the biggest thing. And I think Raheem Morris has been able to to do that when he's had his opportunities as defensive coordinator. And um, and again, it's tough. Like, I don't know. I'm not in those interviews. If they sat him down and said, hey, what went wrong when you were the last time you were the head coach and he has good answers, right. then it's like, all right, I, I can buy that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's right. You, I think you got to have to look at the quarterback situation in all these places to understand, you know, some of the elements. Like, it's worth sort of looking back and saying – he was hired as a 33-year-old head coach by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the first time around yeah. without much in terms of a quarterback a quarterback to, to prop the whole thing up and keep it going there. That in itself is notable. Now, it's not the only thing. I mean, Sean McVay was 30 years old, right, when he was hired by the Rams, and that's obviously worked out great. On the other hand, Lane Kiffin was 31 years old when he was hired by the Raiders, and that was kind of a disaster. So it doesn't, you know, but... When a guy is hired that young as a head coach right away, you know there's something there in terms of, you know, there's something to like about this guy, whether or not it's going to work out or not. Um, Obviously, it didn't work out. He's sort of gone back in the pipeline. And where he went back into the pipeline, I think, is, is relevant and kind of important because he's gone back into that Shanahan stable of system, which theoretically has massively broadened his scope and his uh, exposure to the game, both sides of the ball, you know, not just coaching on defense, but going over to offense, being in a room with all those other, you know, boy genius coaches. I I think there's a lot there. Um, I don't think we're betraying any kind of confidences to say that, you know, Zach was very keen to work with Raheem Morris, right, as his offensive coordinator. Uh, And I think that's an important element in all this, right? Obviously, we are biased in this area because we like Zach and he used to work here. But Zach being, you know, another offensive mind from that coaching tree, being his offensive coordinator. So now you've got Raheem Morris going there as leader of men, whatever, and presumably a, a defensive um, slanted type of head coach. And then he brings an offensive mind like Zach to that team. Now if they can just find a quarterback, which was the thing that sunk him the first time around in Tampa Bay – now you're cooking. Yeah, I couldn't say a whole lot. I, I mean, 
I talked to Zach a little bit, and I think, yeah, he was pretty much expecting, okay, where, wherever Raheem Morris goes. Raheem was close in Seattle and Atlanta as far as getting opportunities. I had heard rumblings that the Belichick stuff had cooled in Atlanta. Right. And then that got out into the media. Hey, they're going to have uh, Bobby Slowick at Arthur, Blank, at Arthur Blank's house. They're going to have – they had Bobby over. Um, and, you know, that Raheem Morris, that they were keen to get Raheem Morris back in the building. And um, I, think, I think Zach did want to pair with him even though he was interviewing or being interviewed with the Saints and was being asked to interview with the Steelers and the Patriots for a return interview, I do think that connection was an important one. Yeah, and that, again, I think, you know, says something about Raheem Morris. Like, Zach could have gone and been an offense coordinator somewhere else. He could have gone out in his own. He could have branched out. He could have taken a different job. And instead, I think he was very keen to stick with Raheem Morris as his offensive coordinator, Um, which, even if it's purely a selfish motivation— is like a, a good thing for Raheem Morris's, you know, outlook. Like, if if it was purely because Zach thinks that's in his best interest, and I'm not saying it is, like it means he thinks Raheem Morris is the best option he could have going forward. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Zach going to Atlanta. But first, is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life? Well, here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence. It's a great term life insurance policy. Yes, for real. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family is protected as if something else unexpected happens. Fabric was was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting health questions. Um, So Zach's going to get the OC job in Atlanta. And I just want to say, like, from a PFF history standpoint, um, we have Zach and Bobby. We talk a lot about them on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. But we hired them at times when they were – Bobby was in transition between coaching in the NFL and, you know, needing something to do. Yeah. And, you know, we were there to um, – it was a good fit with Bobby, right? Um, Zach was similar where he was, you know, fresh out of the NFL. Right. Trying to figure out how he was going to get in. As a player his, his in his case, right? Right, as a player. And, you know, Bobby coming out as a coach. Um, we've had other players and former coaches. We've had – several mm-hmm. players and former coaches who have worked with us and some who still work with us and everything. And I don't want to say, I don't want to say Bobby and Zach were the best, but they were the first that really worked out. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of it was they came in and look, these guys, like they're smart guys, right? They're, they're calling plays in the NFL right, right now. Evidently. Yeah. They came in and learned our system. Like sounds ridiculous, right? We're just, you know, you're just a bunch of dudes from the British Isles that made up a, a, a grading system. But they came in and learned our system, so to speak, right? They learned how to do the PFF grading. They learned what we were doing. They actually, they didn't come in and they were like, you idiots, you have no idea. I'm an NFL coach. I'm an NFL player. Right. I'm a former, I'm a star quarterback from Oklahoma State. They didn't come in. Let me fix everything you're doing. Yeah. Now, but at some point, they were able to, to interject their expertise into this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it worked out so well. Bobby being here for two plus years and Zach being here for, was it two years two to three years um, grading the quarterbacks and putting the final grade on every quarterback. They came in, learned our stuff first, 
learned the system and the process and then helped refine it and then helped make it better. And then, and they made us better. Yeah. But yeah. And so that was what was most impressive to me about those guys coming in that they, they showed a humility to come in, learn what we're doing, and then in turn made it better. And we had a great dialogue and great back and forth and, and they made our grading better and they made our process better. And I think that's a big part of where their success comes from now at the NFL level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, without bringing everything back to J.J. Watt, I don't think you can improve on something if you don't understand it to begin with, right? Yeah. And that, that's, that's where I think both those guys did an amazing job. It's not like the thing was perfect before they arrived, but you couldn't, if from their perspective, you couldn't walk in and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overhaul these grades without having any idea how they worked in the first place. So you've got to go through that process of learning it and then finding where areas of improvement exist to then go and help make it better and improve the process and all those kinds of things. And, you know, I would like to think that on this show, we've done a reasonable job of pointing out where there are flaws in the grading or where there are blind spots or, or weak areas. And, you know, uh, there is a, a sort of constant strive to improve those things or at least acknowledge, you know, that's where the weaknesses are. And this is why you don't just say, number X is bigger than number Y, therefore player X is better than player Y. Um, but none of that makes any sense without understanding how it functions, right? As opposed to just, like, I don't like this number, therefore I'm gonna shout about it. Yeah, the, um, the other aspect of that was, I, you mentioned Bobby being on both sides of the ball, and I think we, we get into this rut in analysis, and I, I call you out for it sometimes too. Right? Like there was a, who's a Todd Pinkston? Mm. Todd Pinkston's a running back coach. So he, he was a skinny wide receiver. So you're instantly like, like how's he going to coach the running backs? I mean, if you were asked, if you asked somebody what's the one thing that you remember from Todd Pinkston's NFL career, they would probably tell you alligator arms. Now, that guy is going into a running back's room yelling at them for not being, you know, physical enough between the tackles. I just think that's kind of funny. Do as I say, not as I do. Right. Right? I mean, it's like correcting your – you're going to correct your daughter on something that you did wrong somewhere along the line. I'm just saying – Dad, you did it. And it's like, well, you know, I know better now. My point in those things has not been that you can't do that. It's just been that it lands harder when the person giving you that message has not automatically run foul of that message – Previously, I just think know? that it, it happens in it happens in baseball all the time. If um, if you're a pitcher, people think you don't know anything about hitting. If you're a hitter, they think you don't know anything about pitching. When it's like, okay, I mean, so Zach was a receivers coach before, and just because he was a quarterback doesn't mean he can't coach the receivers. Bobby was a defensive coach. No, but it's and I easier. Think sometimes your mentality is, well, you only understand defense, you don't understand offense. But it's not always the case. It's not that. It's the first impression of buy-in, right? If, like, if Randy Moss walks into a room with a bunch of wide receivers and wants to impart some wisdom on them, every single one of those guys is immediately going to listen to what he says, buy-in 100%, and absolutely accept it as gospel truth, right? If random-ass backup quarterback, you know, if... I don't know. Pick your favorite. Who's your favorite random-ass backup quarterback right now that's about to transition into coaching because their career is finally coming to an end? Right now? Yeah. Who's your favorite? I don't know. Matt Castle? Okay. Matt Castle walks into the same room. There's a portion of that room is not going to buy into what he says right away because it's Matt Castle, not Randy Moss, right? Now, if Matt Castle turns out to be a great NFL coach, 
and you know becomes a wide receiver coach down the line, that will get him the same buy-in as the Randy Moss thing. It's just going to take longer, and it's going to require like that thing to happen. Like it's that it's the previous evidence that he's really good at this that's going to give him the buy-in. Randy Moss has it out of the gate. That's my only point with that stuff. There's a period of time where if anyone even remembers who the hell Todd Pinkston is, they're not buying in to, hey, you got to be physical between the tackles, right? Because you're like, what? I've seen your tape. So so it matters for one day. Well, it matters until you believe that the guy's a good coach. I guess the the point I was trying to make in all this was Bobby was a defensive coach, transitioned to the offensive side of the ball, and I think that experience on both sides helps to quell some of those concerns. It takes care of those concerns. And the flip side of that, by the way, is it matters as well for the – for the first few days or like for the initial buy-in if you're not good right like you get a grace period if you happen to have like an automatic layer of credibility on the th- the area that you're talking about right so you bring in you know whatever former great running back or former great position coach whatever it is you put him with that position you have an immediate sort of grace period where people just assume he knows what he's doing because he was great at that even if he doesn't so if you need like hey we got to smooth the road for this guy to ease him into coaching like that makes sense because you get this period of automatic buy-in because of what he did as a player yeah I mean I don't think it whatever I don't think it matters a ton but I get what you're saying um the points I was trying to make was so here's a little flashback to Zach Mm. when um we had Renner remember Renner said that he could run a 4-6 yes was it I gotta find that video he did not run a 4-6 but uh Zach was our referee for the day he was running the stopwatch and uh, we had a fun little video. I, there was also, I don't know, we, in post, we need to get the video of Zach's big-time throw. When I torched you it's off the line of scrimmage. It's in that video, I think, Yeah, it's right? in the video. I torched you off the line of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, this is we were, we were doing a little, like, office-style talking about the event and everything. But I torched you off the line of scrimmage, beat you deep, and Zach put it right on me. Plus 1.5, big-time throw, right it, on my hands. It was a spectacular throw. It was a truly pitiful piece of receiving from you, um, who, you know, they talk about late hands, 50-yard right? touchdown, man. They, they talk about late hands, and the idea being Torched. you're supposed to put the hands up late so that it's too late for the DB to react to what you're doing and, and play through your hands. I, you put your hands up like seven and a half minutes before the ball arrived to the point where, like, when the ball arrived – I was like, you, you know, I'd given up assuming that the ball was going to arrive at that point. You underestimated my speed. Um, so anyway, all the, the points I wanted to make with all this, uh, I got asked on somewhere on radio, you know, what, what would Zach bring to the table? And I remember I mentioned on the show before, I would, if I was hiring a couple of years ago, I might actually hire him on the defensive side of the ball. You Be- said that a long time ago. I said that yeah. a long time ago. And the reason was, when we would do our podcast in, in the PFF NFL podcast back in 2016, 17, when he was around, when he was here, we would, it was the, the big time throw cast. We experimented with having different hosts and whatever. And Zach and I would do, we, we were on the feed on like a Tuesday doing uh, QB reviews. And the insight that he would bring to the table, we'd break down like three QB games in depth. And he would bring insight, not just on what the QB did, but how he would attack the quarterback. And I thought he was really good at saying, hey, one, one thing sticks out. Like Dak Prescott was coming off a bad game and they were going up against the Bucks defense the next week. He's like, he's going to tear up this Bucks defense because I know Dak's strengths and I know, their, I know their defensive weaknesses. He's going to mesh well against that defense. I, I thought Zach was really good 
at identifying those types of things to the point where I was like, well, if you can see, if you if you could see where a quarterback's going to kill you, I want you on the defensive side of the ball and say, let's not do that and right. attack him. And it, um, not just schematically, but also just from like a quarterback skill set standpoint. And I think a lot of times I might be, I don't know, I might be overrating this a little bit. I do think a lot of game planning is just scheme-based, right? Here are the plays they run. Here are the plays we're going to run defensively to stop those plays, right? To have answers to those plays. And I don't know if teams do a great job of attacking a player's weakness and saying a quarterback is comfortable or uncomfortable doing these particular things. I think Zach would have been great at that. And it's not just a skill set for the defensive side of the ball. I just thought that really stood out to me. But I thought he had a good feel for what, as a former quarterback, what receivers need to be doing. What what does QB friendly look like for a receiver? Receivers who have feel. Um, he loved Mahomes, Zach, right? He loved Mahomes and his playmaking. He was the He was higher on Mahomes than any of us that particular year because he said this dude just knows how to he just feels the game in a natural instinctive playmaker so if you say like Atlanta's picking at eight who are they going to pick at quarterback if I had to uh, put words into Zach's mouth here I would say just keep an eye on just general offensive natural playmakers that just have a good feel for football whatever that looks like yeah somebody was um it's interesting sort of seeing, you know, the the people on Twitter make comments like some people uh, tweeted us saying, you know, they remember Zach on this podcast and now he's an offense coordinator in the NFL. And that's cool for them as listeners, let alone us who got sure. to, you know, work with him and all those kinds of things. Somebody else was kind of like uh, <laughs> one of the, the anti-PFF people was like, oh, well, I, it's convenient how we don't get to see any of his old takes and blah, blah, blah. Like they're all up on the website and archived on YouTube. And it's all on you YouTube. can go find. Yeah everything Zach used to say about quarterbacks. And I, I found one of them just by, you know, throwing it in the search bar. And uh, like he was really high on Justin Herbert as well. So, we I mean, Herbert is I haven't won heading like a year before he came out. Right. Yeah. We, we, it was one of those sort of early, you know, back when we were doing a, a sort of series of, you know, eight minute videos on whatever. And it was looking at that snapshot of the quarterback class. And he sort of, you know, went through everybody else and then once he got to Justin Herbert like Zach lit up and he was really high on him so I haven't like audited Zach's quarterback takes start to finish to see where they are but just anecdotally loved Mahomes loved Herbert in that draft class hadn't Joe Burrow didn't exist at that point right because he hadn't broken out that year it was sort of pre his breakout yeah. season this was actually I think going into 2019 Herbert would have been draft eligible yeah and um, then or 2018, he would have been draft eligible, and we were ranking him back then. Right, and then I know anecdotally from when Zach used to, you know, coach quarterbacks kind of privately uh, outside of getting ready for the NFL, like he would tell us some things that were sort of comedy but were reasons that he didn't buy into a given quarterback. And I think all of those have been right as well, right? Yeah. They, they sounded like stupid yeah. reasons to not like a quarterback, but all of those guys that he didn't like stank. I don't want to be cryptic with that stuff, but – he worked with multiple quarterbacks leading up to the I don't draft. think we need to, you know, say anything, but yeah. I'm just saying, like I said, I haven't audited start to finish his take on every single quarterback, so maybe this is just, you know, the way your memory works and you remember the highlights and the lowlights and throw out everything in the middle, and it's, it's tainting your opinion. But there's a couple of good ones that he really nailed and a couple <laughs> of guys that he hated, and all of those guys stank. So hated, not hated. My point being, if you are a Falcons fan and they are planning on doing something in the draft, it sounds like you've got a guy that knows what he's doing in terms of identifying a quarterback. 
who's yeah. at least in the room. It's not like the offensive coordinator is, you know, hand-selecting their quarterback, but there's at least a smart-sounding voice in the room trying to find one for you. I would say that because he, he worked with multiple quarterbacks before the draft. And all I'll say is he, he gave us honest, honest assessments of that. Yeah. There are, other, there are other quarterback gurus, we'll say, quarterback coaches who go into the media – and they talk up their guys, right? They're like, I'm working with this guy. He's working hard. He's making these changes, and he's going to be better, which, yeah, is, which he, is good for business. He right? never sugarcoated, you yes. know, just because he was working with a quarterback pre-draft, that didn't mean that he was going to say, oh, this guy, no, he can definitely yeah. do it. He's, yeah, he's, he was like, no, <laughs> no chance. I, I mean, people could dig in. I don't want people to dig in. I'm just saying he was honest about stuff. He, he wasn't doing a media tour either at the time, being right. like, oh, I'm working with these three guys, and they're all going to be great. I'm just saying he was honest, mm -hmm. and he also had a pretty good read on guys uh, off the field and some of the other stuff like you're kind of hinting at here. So I think that's all great. I mean, I, it's going to be fascinating because they're sitting there at eight. They have Desmond Ritter. Um, clearly, I think they're going to be looking for a fresh start for, at quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, does that put them in a Jaden Daniels conversation? Does that put them in a Bo Nix conversation? We're sitting here uh, live on a Tuesday morning the day of Senior Bowl practice. Right, Senior Bowl practice is, is occurring in, in about an hour from what I'm speaking right now on YouTube. And I think by the end of Senior Bowl week, we're going to hear more Bo Nix in the top 10 type of buzz. I think we're already hearing buzz. it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who are saying the media are behind. Um, and it, to me, it always depends on who you follow. Right. I see our old friend Mike Renner. I see Lance Zerline from NFL.com. I see them already talking about Bo Nix in the top 10 yeah. and either through the lens of they think he's a top 10 pick or they think the NFL is going to think he's a top 10 pick. It, I think that's just going to be locked in by the end of this week. I mean, it's starting to shape up to be a fascinating quarterback class for teams that do need a quarterback and are not sitting there somewhere in the top two and or three, right? You've got, is Jaden Daniels worth number three overall, which is the question the Patriots are going to be asking themselves. Um, there is the conversation of Bo Nix. How high can you draft Bo Nix? People seem to be falling over themselves to like put Bo Nix as high up in that first round as you can get him. There's the conversation we had with Michael Penix Jr., which is, is he you know, a borderline first rounder, top of the second round guy, or is he undraftable because his knees don't work anymore? Like that's a conversation that everybody's having. There's the one we had with Jim Nagy, which is, hey, the NFL's way higher on Spencer Rattler than the media is, right? They think his... Um, move in his college career to South Carolina actually worked really well and he's he's a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL so guys like Zach and every personnel person in the NFL that it doesn't have a top two or three pick is looking at those guys and saying actually do we have a starter in this guy lower down the draft and if so how long can we wait before we jump on that yeah so so my prediction is end of the week Bo Nix is getting more buzz and I think you're gonna like Atlanta could be a team. Uh, one thing I don't know about Zach is if you said, I, I'm not really sure. If you said you could have a Jaden Daniels or you could have a Bo Nix, would you, if you have a Jaden Daniels, you have to run your run game through him. You have to use him in the design run game because he is a, such a dynamic runner. Same conversation we had last year about Anthony Richardson. You have to not that he, not that they can't do other stuff, but you're just you're leaving a big part of their skill set on the table if you don't build the run game around that their ability I don't know if Zach is willing to do that I I, I imagine he'll take uh, big chunks of Sean McVay's offense with him with his own little spin um, Zach did a lot of work on third down you know they do a lot of 
hey, go study third down, come up with some plays. You know, we've heard Jordan Rodrigue uh, on uh, the playmakers, the play callers, yeah. saying to get plays into the game plan for McVeigh is like a big thing. So Zach and the other assistants are trying to get plays into the uh, game plan. He did a lot of third down work there. So I think it'll be McVeigh's offense with his twists on it. So, but I don't know how much he's willing to lean on the QB run game versus having a guy that's more of a you know, truer pocket passer. I'm not sure. So, um, and I'm not going to, once I find out, I probably won't reveal that unless he wants to. Mm. Now, my, my next question is, will, will Zach actually join us on the show? Or mm. will he big league us? The same, yeah, does he have the same uh, policy as, as Bobby Sloak? No, is he going to big head coach. like Bobby? Right, because as soon as these guys get an offensive coordinator position, they get thrust front and center in front of the media like every week. Yeah. So we're media. So come back on your own show. I've got some great intriguing questions that I'm sure our listeners. Yeah, we need to hit him about. back up the way we hit Bobby and be less so, accommodating and say, no, we're not going to wait till you're head coach. You're coming on the show. So in addition to all this, uh, Zach just had his second baby. He had a, he was all last week, they were waiting for the, for the baby to be born and all while this was happening. So he was not um, terribly responsive to mm. uh, text messages or whatever it might be. So it was a pretty busy time. So I'm going to let things settle down a little bit before I pepper him with a podcast request yeah. and telling him who to draft like Puka Nakua last year. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe we should go through like team PR, you know, just cut out the middleman. We should. Turns out you're coming on the show whether you like it or not. <laughs> oh, maybe that is the way to, we should do that with the Texans actually. Because Bobby go got like, Texans Bobby basically on. got conscripted onto the Schefter show. Yes. They did. No, Schefter didn't go to Bobby and like, hey, do you want to come on the show? They, he, he went to whoever like head of, Houston HR was and or PR and Bobby just got told to do it because everyone else had already passed. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, I'm saying. I mean, it's cool, right? We're excited uh, to see a couple of former colleagues now, two of them as offensive coordinators in the NFL. Assuming Bobby doesn't get a head coaching gig this time around, and he might. I mean, there's yeah. one left. Um, but that's pretty awesome. Like guys that we work directly with, guys that were doing effectively the same job as we were. Like they were senior analysts at the same time, right? Yeah. The grade reviewers at PFF, um, you know, had a, a hand in shaping the grades, had a hand in understanding and helping everything, and did kind of the same job as we did. And now they're calling plays in the NFL. It's also interesting because I'm getting, I, I would hate to be a coach. It is such a tough profession because, you know, Bobby was out of work for a couple of years because Kyle didn't have. Yeah, I mean, Bobby's a classic example of the, the humanizing part of this that we all miss. Like, when somebody gets fired high up, it's not just that guy gets fired, it's everyone generally below him also gets fired, and they have an awful lot less to fall back on than the guy who had the, you know, multi-million dollar contract that's all paid out, right? Yeah. Like, you know, whoever... The Frank Reich. Frank Reich gets canned, Frank Reich gets the full payout of his contract, and okay, it's not the, like... The Jimbo Fisher or whatever his name is with the 70 million he's not getting that but he's getting a good payout right there's a defensive assistant somewhere on his staff that has no payout coming to him and also doesn't have a job and now he's got to go find one and in Bobby's case that ended up being PFF um, so what I was hinting at is I think because again they're not having success because of PFF they happen to stop through PFF and, of course you know that you know 
In Zach's case, it actually may have helped a little bit as far as getting seen, but whatever. I mean, I don't imagine it hurt either of them, but yeah, yeah. No, nobody would claim we're, we're that never, they're... Yeah, we're not claiming, we, we right. joke, we're not claiming it's my coaching tree. Like, Zach used to work for me, you know, he was, he was in my department, he mm. was my coaching tree here, Sam. Um, but we, there are other coaches who are already reaching out because they're kind of seeing, oh, you know, they, they stopped through PFF, can we do that too? And so we're getting a little bit more of that in, you know, in response, to be honest, so... Um, what else do we want to to cover here? Uh, I mean, other coaching hires that we haven't talked about yet? Well, first, let me tell you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. We'll have a lineup. I'll have a Super Bowl lineup probably later in the week here to take a look at. You just pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in if you want to play alongside some of prize picks favorite players like rapper meek mill and comedian andrew schultz you can do that you just find the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week prize picks even offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games you have a player that exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second half that player is rebooted prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy so we saw uh, Eli won a couple weeks ago, hit all of his picks. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, you know what you're getting into, and it's just you against the numbers, more or less. That's all it is. Really simple. So just go do it right now. Go do it right now. Go to prizepickscom pffnfl. Use code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepickscom pffnfl. Use code pffnfl. You get a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy over at Prize Picks. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, well, you want to do Washington. Um, so as of record time, we don't, we don't know if Ben so, Johnson is officially in Washington, but go ahead. Yeah, the, uh, they're still interviewing people. Um, today they are interviewing in person Anthony Weaver and Mike McDonald uh, and no, wait, that's yesterday. Yesterday, they conducted an interview in person with Anthony Weaver and Mike McDonald, and today they are scheduled to interview Dan Quinn, Aaron Glenn, and Ben Johnson. Um, you dare? I don't think we should just say. But the reports have been that this is Ben Johnson's job and has been oh, for a while. I don't while. know if we can do that. Now, I what I think we should do is, much like we did with uh, Jim Harbaugh, when the reports were that Jim Harbaugh was getting that Chargers job for a little while before uh, it was officially announced and we had a show that we were doing. So I say, for the benefit of social media, right now, we will stop talking in the future tense and start talking in the present tense and assume that as of right now, Ben Johnson has just been named the new head coach of the Washington Commanders. You're really going to risk this? Yeah. All right. Let's go. For social media Uh reset. Ben Johnson is the new head coach of the Washington Commanders. Uh, Your thoughts, Sam. Initial thoughts here. Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator. I mean, Ben Johnson has probably been the hottest coaching name for a couple of cycles now. Like last year, he was the one everybody was going after. And then he eventually told Carolina, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going back for another year with Detroit. Uh, This year, like it didn't do anything to harm his overall standing. He had another great year. The play calling in Detroit, I think, has been spectacular throughout his his tenure. He got another career year out of Jared Goff. 
everything about that offense was pretty fantastic. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much of the fourth down aggression stuff is Dan Campbell, how much of that was Ben Johnson influenced, um, particularly given the way those kind of meshed with the third down play calling as well. But, you know, he's been the classic sort of hot coaching candidate for a couple of years. Now, I think teams have generally started to go away from that as a concept, right? That that was, for a while, that was the guy everybody was chasing as their new head coach. Recently, I think they've moved back away from that to more sort of over overarching or CEO-type head coaches and haven't necessarily just rushed out to hire the, the hottest name. Um, but I, I feel like it's a very good, like, everything we know about him is good. Therefore, yeah. you can't hate it as a concept. Um. One thing I, w- I was thinking about it uh, last night, the the final four was, if you were classifying the head coaches, you have great play caller in Andy Reid, mm-hmm. offensive genius, great play caller, offensive genius in Kyle Shanahan. You have Dan Campbell, the one that we keep saying, well, maybe the NFL is leaning more toward that guy, CEO, motivator, passionate, doesn't have a system, doesn't have a scheme, but he's just going to get the right people in the building. And maybe that's the trend. Um, and then John Harbaugh, and I've heard other people say, well, maybe more people should get special teams coaches because John Harbaugh's had a lot of success. But those are all, you have two play callers, you have a special teams coach, and you have a Dan Campbell type. They're all different, man. And, and again, like in this particular weekend, the play callers happen to win out. Like the offensive geniuses won out. Right. I mean, alternatively, you can put them into two different buckets, right? It's, it's the play caller sort of scheme, um, scheme expert coach, Andy yeah. Reid and Kyle Shanahan, and then the CEO type head coaches, right? The motivator, the glue guys, the guys that, you know, get the culture and the building moving in the right direction. Obviously, Harbaugh's been doing that for years, whereas Dan Campbell's only had a couple of seasons at it. But theoretically, those are both same type of of coach. And in this particular scenario, the, like, the play-calling schematic experts were 2-0. and Yeah. And, and, like, the point I'm trying to make here, too, is I think because there's only 32 head coaches, and at any given time, there's only how many successful head coaches. It's a lot like quarterbacks. And you don't just have to say, well, let's find the next Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. Let's let's you know find that next guy, do it the same way we found those guys. It's like, it's just, it's a low hit rate, man. It's a low hit rate to find a great next head coach. I would almost lean into, if we think Dan Campbell's been really good at finding people, players, coaches, and working with the front office, he's the guy that, you know, put Ben Johnson front and center. And I think that's that's a vote of confidence. And then the second part is the Shanahan scheme guys that have gotten uh, either new offensive coordinator or head coaching jobs, say what you want about a Mike McDaniel and uh, what's the next step for the Dolphins? How are they going to get over the hump? Like they've changed those teams and made them better offensively. So I think Ben Johnson has that play calling aspect that can make Washington better. And he's got that vote of confidence from the CEO master motivator type that he's one of his guys and it's not that he'll be like Dan Campbell it's that um I assume Dan Campbell's good at hiring and that was the guy that he invested his offense and that might be a thing that's been overlooked as like one of the most important aspects of being a coach particularly if you're not a play calling expert type of coach like does it really matter if Kyle Shanahan is good at hiring not necessarily because his coach is going to get poached away and then he just replaces him with somebody else. And the guy, like he's, Kyle Shannon is, I think, literally the only uh, head coach in the NFL who is also, by name, 
designated as the offense coordinator as well. I think he's the only guy in the league for whom that's the case. Like even the other guys that clearly run their side of the ball, there's a name head, there's a named coach as the coordinator. You know, they they only do that uh, de facto. Um, but Shanahan is literally the named offense coordinator as well. So it probably doesn't matter if he's good at hiring or not because he's doing it. Whereas if you're not that guy, now you need to be able to hire because if the guy's any good that you hired the last time, he's going to get poached away because the entire NFL has turned over their offense coordinators in the space of a year and a half. Um, and you need to have the next guy come in because you're not doing it. You need those guys to lean on. So I forget who we were talking about recently where they were asking like, okay, who are you bringing in as a coordinator? And if that guy's not available, who's your next guy? Like you now need to know I need a list of people that I'm going to have as coordinators, not just for this year, but for the future, because it's going to be a conveyor belt. Like, they're going to get poached. So the one area where I think hiring the genius um, schematic expert is still a potential advantage is at least you don't have to think too hard about, you know, what happens when his genius coach gets poached away because he's the genius. And then I, I think one of the things that Sean McVay has done really well with the Rams as the offensive genius guy that goes and he'll stay and there'll be a revolving door of assistants near him. Sean McVay has done a great job of finding defensive coaches. He had Wade Phillips mm-hmm. early in his tenure there. And Wade Phillips, even though he was getting older, could still coach defense, right? Wade Phillips was awesome. Then he transitioned to Brandon Staley. And again, I think things have soured on Staley, who now, by the way, is the you know a new defensive coordinator. Um, the the Staley find basically and what he did at defensive coordinator and then bringing in Raheem Morris like that's how McVay has operated and, and and even though we know McVay we talk about about how smart he is and he understands defensive football and everything but he's done a really good job of finding really smart defensive people and basically said here you go run the defense I'll run the offense that's what I think Ben Johnson's gonna have to do that's what those what those guys have to do is find that great defensive coach um if I had a takeaway on Ben Johnson and what he's done in Detroit, it's it's playing to the strengths of his players. Yeah, that was my. I mean, it, if they had made the Super Bowl, a few plays go the other way, I would be talking about that for weeks now, for two weeks leading up to the game. That the Lions, I think, systematically made their personnel better. All while, and as as it got better and better, they expanded the playbook. But they were playing to the strengths of that team. They built this offensive line. They had a great run-blocking offensive line. They have a, a unique running game. They have a multifaceted running game that Ben Johnson has implemented there. They will run zone. They will run gap. They will run little wrinkles. It is as creative of a run game without the quarterback element, by the way. They had a very effective running game without any quarterback run threat, which is tough to do in today's NFL because we always talk about the QB run threat changes the arithmetic at the line of scrimmage. They did this with just Jared Goff under center. And then all of the play action and trickeration off of that. So when I look at this commander's team, if you want to play Ben Johnson style of football, creative run game, you probably need better better run blocking up front. I think Washington's going to have to invest uh, in the offensive line, particularly at certain positions. Um, but I also think they'll lean into Terry McLaurin um, Jahan Dotson coming off of a really disappointing sophomore campaign. I think they'll um, they'll find a way to get him more involved. Uh, that's the stuff I'm looking at here with with Ben Johnson coming in. Is is he will maximize? I think the talent that Washington has. 
Yeah, and with them picking number two overall, you would assume that they're going to draft you know one of the top quarterbacks available. I'd also be vaguely intrigued of what Ben Johnson could do with Sam Howell if they need him as a bridge. Like even if they draft Drake May, say number two overall, the evidence is stacking up of how important potentially sitting a quarterback is for their first year or or more. What if they look at this and say, we're drafting Drake May, he's the future, but Sam Howell is going to play next year as the starter. And okay, that went badly last year. The whole thing spiraled out of control. Sam Howell got worse as the year wore on and the end of the season got us the number two overall pick. But now Ben Johnson comes in, who just got career years out of Jared Goff and was a big part of resuscitating his career. Maybe Ben Johnson could turn Sam Howell into a viable starter for a year before we transition over to Drake May and he hits the ground running because he just sat for a year learning from the sideline. One thing that could be interesting, Adam Peters is the new general manager Mm -hmm. for Washington. He comes from the 49ers. Um, He was, when when Shanahan went to the Niners in 2017, Peters was the vice president of player personnel, 17 to 20, before becoming assistant GM. And in 2017, the Niners had the second overall pick, and they traded down, they, and they needed a quarterback. And they traded down and did not take a quarterback. They took Solomon Thomas instead, and they let the Bears come up and get Mitchell Trubisky, also from UNC, by the way. Um, I do wonder, and at the time, Shanahan had just signed a six-year deal. And I remember at the time thinking, there's no rush for the Niners to get their quarterback. Um, I've, I've changed my thinking a lot through the years. Think, ah, oh, you just always take the quarterback because you never know when you'll have another opportunity. But at the time, they slow played the quarterback process. They ended up trading for Jimmy Garoppolo during that 2017 season, midway through. And Garoppolo really changed the Niners. He went 6-0 and down the stretch, and they became a, a much better team in the coming years. But I wonder if there's a, a world where the same decision could be made. You just, you, you're starting a rebuild. Do you want to get the infrastructure in place if you're Adam Peters and Ben Johnson? There's also some rumors that the Denver Broncos are going to be making a power move here, that the Broncos are going to get a quarterback. There's a shot. lot of teams that are now in that world yeah. of rumor. I mean, they're Denver at 12, Minnesota at 11. There have been talk that the Vikings are, are absolutely not beyond making a giant move. They were trying to get up last year, weren't they? The, yeah, at least it was talked about. But – there's a lot of these teams now and picking in the middle of the first round, middle to slightly higher than the middle, but are nowhere near the top three picks. So there is a world. Look, listen, I think if you look at the history of the commanders the last few years, um, the late Dwayne Haskins was a first round pick that they picked at 15, right? Because there was years of Washington picking in the middle of the first round. They didn't have a chance to go get that quarterback again since they went and traded up for RG3 back in 2012. They hadn't had a chance to go get that guy. So they're back in this position where they can get a Drake May, who for over a year has been the consensus number two guy, top two guy that you would want to take. It's not one of these classes where like Zach Wilson came out of nowhere and becomes the number two. Like Drake May's been this dude. In in other years, Drake May is going number one. Does Washington pass that up? for maybe a massive haul and then you get a Bo Nix or a Jaden Daniels or a Michael Penix or I mean or do you just build the infrastructure because listen really quick Ben Johnson rejuvenated Jared Goff as the guy that the Rams didn't want Mm -hmm. and in 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 coinciding with the personnel moves that the Lions made made the Lions better than the Rams a couple years later with the you know throwaway Jared Goff 
does Ben Johnson think, hey, I could do that with a Kirk Cousins or bring Kirk back to Washington? I'm just, you know, whoever, which, whatever veteran quarterback, if I put the infrastructure in place. Because with that number two pick, you could trade down and get a haul potentially and get the infrastructure in place in Washington and take your time here. And number one is potentially entirely on like available as well there's no guarantee the bears are in fact going to reset and go with a new quarterback and not stick with justin fields if the bears think justin fields can be the guy and they want to stick with him then number one is potentially available as well like all these teams that are being talked about as needing to do something aggressive to go find a quarterback minnesota denver the raiders are at 13 one behind them like there's a lot of teams in that area that need a quarterback um Chicago, I mean, number one, getting to number one from 11 or 12 is going to take a lot. Uh, but it's potentially available. So just to, to put a bow on this, I think what is Ben Johnson? I think he's a guy that um, creative run game, which um, can be valuable in today's NFL if you're using it the right way. Uh, I think he'll get the most out of their playmakers. And I think there's certainly some, some work to be done on the offensive line to be able to implement what Ben Johnson wants to do schematically. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see what he does with the defense, right? They've been they've been torn down from a defense that was very you know was was pretty good a couple of years ago. Very talented defensive line. They got to build it up on that side of the ball as well. So there's some work to do. Interested to see as of record time. We don't know what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball, but that's uh, much like a lot of the Shanahan disciples have done. Who you pair with becomes really important because theoretically. You're the CEO, you're running both sides, but if you're gonna run the offense, you probably wanna have somebody with experience who's had success on the defensive side of the ball to just to run that side. And I think that's been the pattern that has worked for um, other coaches around mm -hmm. the league. Now, at the, uh, at the risk of forgetting the Titans again, um, the Tennessee Titans have found their head coach. They hired uh, Brian Callahan as their head coach. They did, you haven't covered this yet, huh? No. Um, well, that's... Well, this surprised me a little bit. I actually, I did think Bobby might get the Tennessee job because of the connections with um, Brand Carthon being right coming from San Francisco. It's funny every you get this cycle, and the entire cycle just seems to be beat reporters finding some connection. Finding the connection, but it, just a connection. Like there's no there's no actual background as to whether that was a good connection or a bad connection or how close they were. It's just oh look, this guy spent this period of time with another guy that's in this building, therefore. He's got to be a hot candidate, you know? It's like the man may never have even spoken to him before. Like he was quarterback coach at the time this guy was assistant GM or whatever. They may not even known who the other one was in that building. And yet you're like, ah, look, it's a connection. So Brian Callahan, son of legendary offensive line coach Bill Callahan, of course. Um, Bill has been head coach of the Raiders, went to Nebraska, completely changed Nebraska from a triple option team to a West Coast offense team. Bill Callahan was the coordinator for John Gruden back when that Raiders offense was cooking, getting Rich Gannon back. And they, um, it's interesting, like Bill Callahan now is known as like wherever he goes, whatever he touches on the offensive line right. turns to gold, right? He does a great job coaching up front. But there was a point where he was the coordinator for a pass first, uh, old school West Coast offense uh, that was very pass heavy in the early 2000s for that league. You know. Charlie Garner coming out of the backfield, thrown to Jerry Rice, um, Tim Brown, the whole thing. So it's uh, Brian Callahan. It's Bill Callahan's son. And he comes from Cincinnati, where he's been the offensive coordinator the last few years. But it's been Zach Taylor calling plays, right? So it's 
So when you're trying to figure out what's Brian Callahan bringing to the table, this is one where I don't, I don't have as clean of an answer, right? Because you didn't see it as much. Because Joe Burrow's there, and the offense looks really good, and I think no matter who's calling plays, no matter who has an OC title in Cincinnati for the next 10 years, Joe Burrow's probably going to be pretty good, right? Unless they're really bad, you know, from a coaching standpoint. Joe Burrow's going to be pretty good. So it's different from these other things where you say, well, Ben Johnson took this Lions team from nothing to, to really good. With Brian Callahan, you don't have that, well, he turned something great without, you know, probably a quarterback carrying the show. No, absolutely. Um, that's an interesting one because um, when he was hired by Zach Taylor, like he's not a guy that uh, they, a lot of times these guys, you know, the Zach Taylor was the classic. Anyone that's had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay is getting hired, right? He was the sort of pinnacle of that trend of coaching in the NFL. And generally when those guys are hired, they, they staff their uh, coordinators and, and position coaches from – the same kind of staff. It just doesn't just necessarily pick off the coordinator for the team. You know that, that's getting their coaching tree is in vogue. It picks off a bunch of the lower down guys because that's their tree. Like those are the guys they're familiar with. Um, but Zach Taylor hired Callahan from a completely different team structure. Like wasn't a guy, as far as I know, that they'd had. You know the, the deep intimate connection previously. Oh look, they worked together at this team for two years and yada yada. He hired just a smart offensive mind away from somewhere else, and it's been hugely successful for them. Yeah, so again, it's like, I don't, I mean, we didn't know. I, I don't, we probably made fun of Dan Campbell after his press conference. We at least referenced it, right? I don't know. I don't have, I don't have tons of opinions if you can't see stuff, like if you, with stuff you can't see. I don't know how Brian Callahan is going to command the room and the team, um, if he's going to be, you know, uh, disciplinarian type is he going to be soft-spoken I, I don't know exactly because we don't we haven't seen a whole lot of it but um, all that stuff happens you know behind the scenes in the interview room mm -hmm. but uh, interesting move for Tennessee I think when they were interviewing they probably said hey we're gonna like Will Levis at least has another shot here I think the fact that Will Levis was a second round pick makes it you know it's, it always kind of opens the door that they could look elsewhere at quarterback but I think he at least has one more year to kind of you know, let's build around Will Levis and see what we can do. Yeah. I mean, the connection between Callahan and Taylor would have been from when Zach Taylor was at Nebraska, right? Like actually playing. They played together, I think. Yeah. I think they played. So it's uh, not like, you know, a guy from a coaching tree that you're familiar with. It's it's someone that you just, you know, who's, his football mind is good. That did you, he play? Did I make that up? I don't know if he played, but his like Bill Callahan would have been coaching Nebraska at the time. Yeah, Zach but, Taylor was playing correct. in Nebraska. Yeah, I think Zach was the quarterback. Like he was the first quarterback running the West Coast offense in Nebraska history, basically right. as a as JUCO transfer. Me. If I if I remember correctly. Yeah. Apologize to the chat if I don't have my perfect. You know, I'm, I forget more stuff than I than well, I know these days. You're old now. I am kind of getting old. Yeah. The brain just stops functioning the way I told it used you. I started losing words here and there. Losing like, words. Losing words. There's like a word that I should know, and it just it's not there anymore. Yeah. Is that bad? Should I, get I mean, that it's not good. Should I get that checked out? I don't mean? think it's – I think it's just you're old. I think that's what happens when you get old. You just, really great. The brain stops working the way it used to. Really great. Yeah. Really great stuff. It's like – the. I mean, it's not – the good news is it's not just the brain. It's the body too. You know, everything starts failing the older you get. It's just, it's just part of life. You know, you get old, the body and the brain stop working. Then you die. It's great.
I mean, you know, down the line, not like tomorrow, presumably. Correct. Yeah. Not, not right. I mean, I don't control these things, at least most of the time. Anything else from a uh, coaching carousel standpoint? Yeah, we got a couple more. Uh, Where did I throw the notes? Um, Well, the thing, the big thing that we haven't talked about is Vic Fangio. To Philly. Yes. So Vic Fangio and the Dolphins sort of mutually agreed to part part ways. Um, The reports, the the analysis of this was essentially um, Vic Fangio wanted to be let go because as a as an old guy with grandkids he wanted to be closer to the grandkids he remember was a sort of consultant for philly during their super bowl run and now he's going back his i think his grandkids live in pennsylvania or whatever so now he can be defense coordinator for the eagles and kellen moore offensive coordinator with the eagles yeah is that official official uh, i don't know is it i think it is let's find out so two complete changes here yes on, on, both si- on both sides of the ball and you would say those are two good hires for a team that you know had its two coordinators poached away a year ago struggled to replace them or yeah. at least you know those were seen as big parts of the reason for their struggles this season or collapse this season if you are nick siriani you know and you have your meeting with the owner and he's like okay this is bad enough that like your job is not necessarily safe what is your fix if this was his fix or if he just stumbled into this by luck, I mean, that's about as good as you could have expected, right? Kellen Moore, you know, we, we speculated that he might be a smart buy low type of option right now. The, the reputation on Kellen Moore has sort of soured a bit given the way the last, the, the last two jobs he's had have ended. Uh, and meanwhile, Vic Fangio is just like a, one of the smartest defensive minds in the game who just happens to want to be exactly where your team is. Yeah, and with, with Fangio, I mean, everybody, look, I... Uh, the results with the Dolphins were okay. Um, they ended up with all those injuries. When they were healthy, they they played much better football. I think the results from Fangio the last couple of years are just, you know, they've been all right. They've been fine. They've been – he's solid on the de- – he's a solid defensive coach. Obviously, he's got the history and the pedigree. And there was a point just two or three years ago where anybody who had a cup of coffee with Vic was getting their job. Everybody wanted his system. So now he's in Philly. They were kind of running his system last year or the last couple of years, which you know, his disciples were the – uh, were the defensive coordinators there, and that's why he was a consultant in 22 with Jonathan Gannon as, as uh, defensive coordinator. And so now he's there. And then with Kellen Moore, it's just funny because I think Cowboys fans didn't love him, but, you know, it's like they don't love Mike McCarthy now, and they don't love – they didn't love Jason Garrett being there. They didn't love anybody, right? And it's like, all right, at some point it's not just the coordinator. And I think that might just be where Kellen Moore is. Did he – did he make a massive difference with the Chargers? Not massive, maybe a little. I think he made it he made it a little bit better, but did we get to see it? Herbert got hurt. The receivers got hurt. Did we actually get to see it? So I keep coming back to just like head coach and quarterback, there's six to eight difference makers maybe. And then but like Kellen Moore, is he one of the eight? Probably not. But is he a top 10 to 12 offensive coordinator? Probably. Is that exciting? I mean, it's better than what they had in Philly last year, I think. I mean, I think at the minimum, he's not a problem. Right. If, yeah. if that's all he is, it's an improvement over a year ago where you weren't certain if that was the case. So I think at the minimum, Kellen Moore comes in, stabilizes the situation, and you have a good 
environment there on the offensive side of the ball. You've got an amazing offensive line still. You've got a good quarterback. We'll see how good he can be with uh, with improved things around him. You've got A.J. Brown. You've got Devontae Smith. You've got Dallas Goddard. You've got good weaponry. And now you have a coach that's solid, right, even if that's all he is. And it could be better than that. But that that's a good setup on the offensive side. And then on defense, I think you get you bring in Vic Fangio, who, okay, maybe his – system has fallen off a little bit in part I think because all those Shanahan coaches grabbed Vic Fangio disciples and figured out how to play against it like I think that's a real big part of it that the Fangio scheme was killing all of those offenses it gave all of them trouble so almost all of them grabbed a guy from the Vic Fangio stable and figured out how to combat it and now it doesn't and I think that's a big part of why it's suddenly not as effective as it used to be. But if you watch the Dolphins, like before everybody got hurt and they had no pass rush and, you know, the guy was trying to make the whole thing function against Patrick Mahomes with smoke and mirrors in the playoffs. um, I still think Vic Fangio is the finest exponent of that system. Like he, the godfather of the system, is still better at it than anybody else that's tried to emulate it. Uh, And the Eagles still have some talent on defense like this was a defense that was banged up was missing a lot of guys that were supposed to be key components this year I feel like you're going to get a much better version of the group next year with Fangio than you did this season yeah I mean I I think I think they've upgraded both sides so that that part's gonna be interesting because it's it it still is a very talented team and the the Kellen Moore aspect of it was hey the Eagles couldn't handle any sort of blitz scheme um, and again, you know, is it how much is hurts? How much is it the scheme? We'll be able to answer some more of those questions. Mm-hmm. But it's been an offensive coordinator carousel here, Sam. Joe Brady's officially back with the Bills, hired from interim to officially OC going forward. And then former Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey now goes to the Browns. Which was leaked out during one of the championship games. I forget which one. I think the AFC North teams were trying to take jabs at the Ravens. Because like three minutes into the game, the Steelers were like, "We have completed an interview with Arthur Smith." Yeah, for but OC. That, I think that's. I think they're taking jabs at their division rivals. Right. I mean, completing an interview, whatever. But announcing a hiring of a coordinator during an AFC Championship game is what you do when you're trying to bury that news. Not like you're not trying to steal somebody's thunder. I mean, you might be trying to, but that feel that's not what it, how it comes off as. Like that's like the Friday news dump turbocharged to a thousand right like <laughs> congrats we just hired Ken Dorsey oh the guy that got fired midway through the season cool yeah yeah I mean though that's going to be interesting seeing what Dorsey does with the Browns Joe Brady officially with the Bills like going for a full season yeah I mean I don't you can't look at Joe Brady and say he did a bad job there right now you can look at the whole dynamic and say was Ken Dorsey doing a bad job when they fired him or was he simply the guy that was left carrying the can when they decided something needed to change because we'd had too many turnovers and we were losing games and the Bills were, were not in a good situation, right? And the Bills turned themselves around from that point on and all the, it's being looked at solely through the lens of this guy got fired, this guy came in, and look, the wins came. Because I, I know that the EPA was stronger for Ken Dorsey right. than it was for Joe Brady. But I do think, I, I will acknowledge, I do think there's something to game flow. And, and I'm not saying you should be chasing time of possession or anything like that, but I do think Brady did a better job of, of controlling the game for the Bills and given their defense, which had been really beat up 
right? When Matt Milano was injured, Daquan Jones was injured, uh, Tredavious White was injured. They went through all these injuries. And so Joe Brady becoming offensive coordinator coincided with the defense playing better. So I, I do think those are connected at least a little bit, right? And um, same thing with like the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. At the end of the day, the Chiefs scored 17 points. And you could say, oh man, only 17 points. That's a defensive win. But the way the Chiefs controlled the game, the game flow, I think there's elements to that where the offense helped the defense. You know, the defense did a great job against the Ravens, but the offense controlled the game enough, put the pressure on early, that that, that stuff matters. Like, they're interconnected at least a little bit. And I think there's something to that beyond just, well, Ken Dorsey's Bills had a higher EPA than Joe Brady's Bills. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. At the end of the day, yeah, the offensive coordinator is trying to maximize points, but I think there was a game flow aspect where Brady and Sean McDermott maybe worked together a little bit better. I could be wrong. I could be overrating, you know, the feels here. Um, I might get kicked out of PFF for saying this. You know, people don't like that. Hmm. Diminish EPA. The other, um, the other fascinating aspect here is up until now, Kevin Stefanski has been one of those, you know, on the the schematic genius uh, category bucket of coaches we talked about, right? The guy with the system, the play caller, all those kinds of things. One of the big dynamics here is, is Kevin Stefanski going to maintain play calling, total control of the offense, or is he going to hand that over to Ken Dorsey, who you know has come from a different um, team but was a play caller at that point? Like, is he going to relinquish his play calling, which has been a, a discussion point you know, for the Browns before we even knew who the new offensive coordinator would be. But it's it's been one of these rumors that Stefanski might be handing over play calling duties to the next guy. Now we know who the next guy is. Is that still the case? Or is Stefanski, because it's a very different job if you are, you know, the mouthpiece effectively for Stefanski, but he's the guy calling the plays. He's the guy still doing, you know, the grunt work. Or actually, this is all your show, and now Steph- Kevin Stefanski's offense is relying on you to implement it. It's definitely one of the things I'm I'm always curious about that dynamic, and if we could ever get our friends on the show, Bobby, Zach, one of the questions I want to ask... Starting to reflect badly on us that they, never, they don't want to come on our show. Oh, dude, wait till Zach's doing an interview with Schefter this week. I'm going to be so mad. Right. He's going to be like, you know... New baby in arm. Yeah, yeah. holding the baby. Oh, I got to get this interview in because it's Schefter. Right. I'll be... Furious. Pretty pissed off. Yeah. yeah. I'll stop responding to your texts when you need a <laughs> sleeper wide receiver in the fifth round. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I am curious about game planning versus play calling generally because all these coaches work together. Sure. Right. And all the, the, the play sheets that you see, it's not just the offensive coordinator, right? This is a collaborative effort. And it's like, here's our third and long plays. Here's our third and short plays. Here's our first and 10 plays. But when you pick them, of course, comes down to one guy. But how much of that is like everybody's got a pretty good idea of what you're going to call. You guys are so entrenched. You're all on the same page with the game plan. You, everybody knows what you're going to call. It's actually pretty predictable because it's so planned versus how much are you adjusting on the fly. Or you're just you're talking and you're collaborating in between series all the time. And you're like, hey, coming out of this series, what do we think we should do? Blah, 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 blah. You know, we'll get into it. Um, I am curious about what that flow looks like. You know, how much help, in other words, is the offensive coordinator getting? And then, or how much is their own twist and genius? And, you know, when you're calling play one to 15, it's it's pretty well, you know, pre-canned. But once you get to plays, you know, 30 to 50, it's like, man, that's that. That's where 
how Shanahan makes his money. That's where those guys make their money because they understand the flow of the game. I am curious about what that looks like. And one of the questions I want to ask some of our friends here. And it's a it's a very I mean, it's a unique question for the Browns as well, because they're trapped in this world where the job description for the offensive coordinator is not, you know, just construct the best offense, call the best plays. It's we have the most egregious contract in the NFL sitting on the books for a guy that's currently looked like crap running it, right? You now need to not just craft an offense that's best for any generic quarterback. You need to fix Deshaun Watson because so far we've failed to do that. So even if Stefanski, you know, I'm the guy with the offensive system, if his system doesn't mesh with Deshaun Watson, you almost need to junk the system, which is maybe the hardest thing a head coach has had to do in the NFL. Like Stefanski is now looking at this saying, the best person we have had run my system is Joe Flacco. And clearly I'm not bringing back 38, 39-year-old Joe Flacco to be my starting quarterback while I have a $250 million backup. Like, I need to fix Deshaun Watson. And if the answer to that is I can't run my offense, I mean, that's what I have to do. So Alex Van Van Pelt gets fired after the season. They bring in Ken Dorsey. I mean, Ken Dorsey's task is going to be get Deshaun Watson working. And if you need a different offense to do that, maybe that's what needs to get done. Or at least, you know, the plays you would call for my offense to get Deshaun Watson playing at his best, not the ones I've been calling, which evidently hasn't done that. I I mean, whatever you think about Stefanski and how good a job he's doing as the head coach, I think it's worth sort of highlighting that is an extremely difficult task he, uh, he has right now, which, I mean, who knows how much of an input he had on the Deshaun Watson thing, but theoretically has been foisted upon him, right? Somebody else made the call, let's go after Deshaun Watson, they traded what they traded. They gave him the deal. And Stefanski is now the guy that's stuck with it. And it hasn't worked so far. So that's a really, really difficult task, I think. They have had to find an offense coordinator to come in. And then between the two of them, their task is fix Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic. Or Joe Flacco. I think they've already said it's uh, that's oh. not. He might be back as a backup, I think, is what they've been saying. But he's not going to be the starter. No, that's fair. To highlight what Deshaun Watson has done, since joining the Cleveland Browns, he has averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. He has 14 total touchdowns for them, uh, along with nine interceptions. He has... The sack rates. The sack rate is astronomical, which was already, I mean, always reasonably high for him, but it's been through the roof. His first year, he averaged 3.3 seconds per per attempt. Um, Last year, it was 3.12, which are both high numbers. Anytime you're above three, it's bad. He's always been above three, generally speaking, as a quarterback. offensive line. Yeah, behind a really good offensive line. Um, It's been pretty atrocious. PFF grades of 54.7 and then 67.3. So a massive improvement for him got him to being a marginally above average slash average quarterback grade. And he's stuck. I mean, there's no out. Like, we're not looking at this with the, like, the uh, Russell Wilson deal. And you're like, when is the earliest it's palatable to get get rid of him and move on? And by palatable, I mean you're still going to be eating the largest uh, dead cap hit in NFL history, but they can do it this offseason. Cleveland can't get away from that deal basically ever. They are stuck with Deshaun Watson going forward, so they need to fix him. 
Gonna be interesting. Interesting dynamic there. See if Ken Dorsey can help with the Browns. What do you? Well, Tyler's not back there today. No, he'd be yelling. It's gonna happen. Yeah, well, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't. Uh, anything else we should touch on on this Tuesday morning? Uh, I don't know. It's really Monday. Shh, don't tell them. They I can tell you about our promo code. Yeah. 30MDS right now gets you 30% off uh, PFF subscriptions. MDS stands for Mock Draft Simulator. For 30 teams, it's Mock Draft time. I mean, maybe for the Chiefs or the 49ers, you still want a Mock Draft. I mean, the Chiefs are going to load up this offseason at Playmaker, too, which is even scarier. They're going to load up on offensive weapons, and you can do that with the Mock Draft Sim. 30% off right now using the code 30 MDS. So, fun time to uh, start mock drafting between mm-hmm. now and late April. NFL podcast at pff.com is where you can email us in for suggestions, comments, topics, etc. We're going to need to. Stronger mailbag, sorry, mailbag time. Well, particularly for next week, right? The, the Super Bowl preview week, because nobody wants to hear about the game. We'll cover the game. We'll preview the game, but it'll be one show. We have a whole week on Radio Row where we're going to need to talk about other things because nobody actually wants to hear about the Super Bowl that week. It's just pure saturation. It's everywhere. So we want to talk about different things. So email us in what you would like to hear us cover on those shows. Well, we're staying in the giant Dorito, as Mike Quinn just reminded us. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Quinn. Staying in a big Dorito. It might be nice. Maybe they've maybe they've fumigated it for the Super Bowl. Is that is it right next to the Mandalay? Yeah, it's right next to Mandalay Bay. It's connected by a um, by a monorail thing, and then Mandalay Bay is across the interstate from or from the stadium. I assume there's some kind of walkway these days, but so we're yeah. close. We're at least close to Radio Row. We're just close to where we need to be. We're right next. Yeah, that's why we're there. We're right next to Radio Row, and we're very close to the stadium, which may or may not be relevant for you. I want to eat my hotel. Uh, you can probably do that. Steve sized Dorito. Yeah. <sighs> Looking forward to it next week. But I'm in. But I'm in Mobile right now. Hopefully, my accommodations are better than. <laughs> With some of the guys well, as long as you didn't listen to the uh, the Austin Gale uh, oh. travel agent and stay no, in the, got, the roach infested place. No, we got I got good uh, travel agents over here on the football mm. business unit side. All right, I think that's it yeah. for us today. We out. That was uh, a great show. You're back again tomorrow. So tomorrow you're gonna have Trevor on the show. Yeah. As of right now, you'll have Trevor doing a little Senior Bowl recap. I'll be on Thursday. Given my senior bowl recap, and you got Brad coming in on Friday mm-hmm. to talk ball. Yep. Sound good? So email uh, us in any topic, suggestions, and or things you would like to hear talked about. All righty. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcasts.